on, we're streaming. We're live at Second Chance Church today. I want to welcome the, um, we got about 400 people in the room today. That's a, that's a lot. We don't have 400 people in the room. But we do have a, we do have a crowd here. We have a crowd joining us online. If you're on um, Facebook, if you're on the Second Chance website, um, we're so excited. And a couple really cool things before we dive in to the message today. First, first, um, because of the way that you guys have given and supported Second Chance Church, we were able to launch um, our podcast this week. And so if you, for those of you that have been asking about the Second Chance podcast, you can go on iTunes, you can download the first three messages in the Losing My Religion series. Those are all online on iTunes and you can listen to those while you work out or while you're stuck in traffic or whatever. And, and this week, this week, um, and I'll talk about it on social media, I'll kind of announce it, we're going to be able to launch our Second Chance YouTube channel. And so um, you'll be able to go and watch these messages or share these messages or whatever. And, and before we really dive into the message today, this is real cool. Um, sometime this week, we're going to be able to lock down the venue and the date, the venue and the date of our first corporate gathering. We've got a couple more things to look at, but we hopefully next week, hopefully next week, which is the last Sunday um, in the Losing My Religion series, and it's only going to be for people that have ever had any sort of doubt in their walk with God. So if you've never had any sort of doubt in your walk with God, you can skip next week um, and also repent for lying. But, but next week, is we're going to finish the series, and we're going to start a brand new series after that. But next week, hopefully, I'll be able to announce the date and the location of our very, very first um, corporate gathering. So super excited about that. And we're going to dive right in. If you've got a Bible today, we're going to be looking at two main passages, two main passages. We're going to be looking at Isaiah 61, Isaiah 61 and Luke 4. We're going to eventually get to Luke 4, but we've got to get to Luke 4 through Isaiah 61. Now, while you're turning there or, lo or locating it in your Bible or on your app, I want to ask you a question. Um, and don't answer this out loud because it'd get weird. Who do you hate? Like, who is somebody or a group of people that you hate? Um, for, for me, it's like groups of people. Like, I, I have a real good friend, and when this person looks at their phone, sometimes they'll go, <gasps> and I hate that. And, and the reason I hate that is because you don't know if that means somebody died or something's on sale. Um, it, it could mean either one because they're overexpressive. They're like, <gasps> um, I hate people that, that leave their blinker on. Because, for some reason, that blinker, and I'm a little OCD about this, it kind of yells at me every time it flashes off and on. And, and we could go on listing, but um, let's get a bit, little bit more serious. How about um, Donald Trump? Now, on my Facebook page, don't you dare start a political argument. I just ask. Some people hate him. Oh, oh and for those that don't hate Donald, how about Hillary Clinton? I'm an equal opportunity offender. Maybe it's... Maybe it's Hillary. Here's what's funny. A lot of people hate both of those people and have never met them. Just want to kind of throw that out there, that whole judgment thing. Um, how about people of a different color? How about gay people? Like, who do you, who do you hate? Because most of us, if we really paused and kind of examined, some of our, most of us, if not all of us, who are willing to be honest... If we don't hate somebody, at least we would have to admit we have a hard time loving them. 
And the problem is, the problem is, is when you hate a certain group of people, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, we tend to categorize them. And then after we can categorize them, we will demonize them. And we'll lose the individual because they fit in to a group of people that we hate. Now, with this in mind, with this in mind, we're going to start in Isaiah 61. Israel was a very, very, very religious nation. Very religious. They had laws, they had sacrifices and temples and tabernacles. They had all sorts of things going on. And they believed that one day a Messiah was going to come. But the deal was with the Messiah is they thought that the Messiah was going to be for them and them only. And with that in mind, we're going to start reading in Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61, this is what you call a prophecy. And it's a prophecy about the Messiah. It's a prophecy about Jesus. This is how you know who Jesus is. The Bible writer Isaiah was saying, this is how you're going to be able to recognize Jesus when he shows up. So Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2. We're going to read this and we're going to kind of go through it and kind of talk about what Jesus does. Here we go. Um, the Bible says in Isaiah 61 verse 1, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Now, this is a prophecy about Jesus, and this is what Isaiah is saying. Hey, I'm going to give you five indications that you're going to be able to recognize who Jesus is when he shows up. And so we're going to kind of go through these and kind of look at what um, Jesus does for us when he shows up in our lives. This is how we know it's Jesus. Number one, Isaiah said he came to proclaim good news to the poor. Now, I'm personally thankful that Jesus proclaimed the good news to the poor. Because when I met Jesus back in 1990, um, I was poor. And a lot of people are like, oh, this is like spiritual poverty. Well, yes, we'll get to that in a second. But one of the marks of a Christian, one of the marks of somebody that's really in love with Jesus, is they have a generous heart. They have a generous heart. And for me, this is huge because when I first started going to church, my father and I, I lived with my dad, we lived below the poverty line um, for poverty in the United States. And so I know what it's like to go get food stamps. I know what it's like to eat government cheese, which I never was sure that was cheese, but that's what we were told it was. And I ate it because it was food. And I can remember going to church and um, after church, everybody would go out to eat. Like, everybody would always go out to eat. And I would be like, um, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to go. And, and they're like, why are you not going to go? Aren't you hungry? And I'd be like, yeah, I'm hungry. And then they finally kind of force it out of me. I can't afford to go eat. I don't, I don't have any money. And every time, every time, every time. And I, I didn't game the system. I was serious. But every time they would be like, well, come, come go with us. We'll pick it up. We'll pick up the check. We'll pick up the check. And I got to go out to eat. And I got to have, um, and I got to establish a community because of generous people. And that's when I learned that generosity and Jesus go hand in hand. And, and, and that, that was huge for me in my personal walk with Jesus when I really understood that Jesus came to take care of the poor. Now, the physically poor, yes, we have an obligation to take care of the physically poor. 
But this is also talking about the spiritually poor. And we're all born in spiritual poverty. Now, one of the things that got Jesus in a lot of trouble is he really did preach the gospel to the physically poor and the spiritually poor. Um, the spiritually elite, we kind of talked about them last week, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the, Le you know, the Levites and the temple people, they considered themselves to be spiritually rich. But Jesus was always taking the gospel to the people that society called spiritually poor. And, so, and that was one of the indications that Jesus was the Messiah. He took the gospel, he takes the gospel to the spiritually poor. So if you're here today or if you're watching online and you feel like when it comes to spirituality, you're just not very rich, you're very poor, that isn't, listen, that doesn't disqualify you from following Jesus. It means you are actually able to follow him. So that's it. Proclaim the good news to poor. Number two, to bind up the brokenhearted. Now, brokenheartedness and relationships tend to go hand in hand. The, the best example, the best example, and we'll go ahead and apologize to you because I apologized, I apologized to my friend before the service started. Um, if you're a Georgia fan, you know what it's like to feel brokenhearted. I know, I know, don't even talk about Clemson. Don't even, we actually won it last year. Um, all you can say is you almost won it, Georgia fans. Um, but, but if you're a Georgia fan, you know what it's like to experience. By the way, I went to bed at halftime. I went to bed at halftime. I thought the game was over. Um, and, but you know what it's like to experience a broken heart. If you've ever been broken up with, you know what it's like to experience a broken heart. I remember a girl one time at the skating rink, which that's how you know you're a redneck, is if you ever got broken up with at the skating rink. And it was right before, it was right before the couple skate, um, where all the popular kids can skate and all the unpopular ugly kids have to go sit on the side. Um, that's what a couple skate was. They, they probably don't do that anymore because of self-esteem issues. And Sonia, her name was Sonia. I'm not going to say her last name because she's probably watching. Sonia broke my heart. She broke up with me right before the couple skate. It's awful, right? And, and all of us, all of us watching today probably have a relationship or relationships at some point that have gone south. And because of that, we carry scars. And the Bible says that Jesus came to bind up the brokenhearted. In other words, over time, he can heal us of the broken heart or heart that we experience in those relationships that go south. That's one of the evidences of the Messiah working in our lives is, is the relationships um, don't cause that broken heart anymore. Number three, number three, to proclaim freedom for the captives. To, pro to proclaim freedom for the captives. Now, anybody here ever play Capture the Flag? Anybody? Okay, a couple of people. You, you play Capture the Flag? Okay. Um, just, I would have never guessed. Um, I played Capture the Flag, and the way I played it, I don't know how you played it or how you, or how you played it, um, but when I played Capture the Flag, um, if you got captured, you didn't get to go sit until somebody came and rescued you. Um, we actually, you had to do sit-ups and push-ups, and yeah, you obviously didn't do that. Um, but I did. I mean, we had to do all sort of stuff, and it sucked. Nobody, nobody in a game of capture the flag said, I really want to get captured. The goal was not to get captured. And in society today, though, we have a lot of people in the room or watching or even preaching sometimes that we've been taken captive. 
There, there's a certain sin, or maybe there's some certain sins that we do that we wish we didn't do. We just don't know how to stop. And f- first of all, if you want to get set, if you want the first step in being set free is actually wanting to be set free. But if you're um, a slave to a sin or an addiction, the good news is you don't have to live that way anymore. Because once you meet Jesus, he will set you free. Now, sometimes it happens immediately. Sometimes it happens eventually. But Jesus, one of the, one of the marks of Jesus being in our lives is he's always working not to put us in bondage, but to lead us to freedom. So that's the third thing that Isaiah said about Jesus. Number four, to release prisoners from darkness. To release prisoners from darkness. Now, I hate the dark. Um, I'm 46 years old, and I still have a nightlight. And, and that's just because... Um, little backstory. My dad grew up scaring the crap out of me. He thought it was awesome. He would get under my bed and grab my feet and stuff like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's, it's probably one of the reasons um, I experienced so much trauma in my life. So my dad thought it was awesome to jump out of dark places. And so because of that, um, I'm scared of the dark and I still have a nightlight. So nobody loves being in darkness. Nobody loves being in darkness Um, And maybe you're like, oh, I've got to have it completely dark to sleep. And that's fine if you're sleeping. Um, But when I wake up in the middle of the night, I want to see if anybody's in my room. The problem with a lot of people is not the physical darkness we experience, but the people that are watching today that are maybe living in spiritual darkness. Maybe you wrestle with anxiety or depression. I get it. I, I wrestle with that myself. A lot of my friends wrestle with that. And we were, I was actually having a conversation with some friends last week. One of the most insensitive things you can say to someone who's wrestling with depression or anxiety is, well, you shouldn't feel that way. Because it's not like we woke up and said, today, I would love to feel like the biggest turd in the world. That's not, what, that's not the desire of our heart. But the beautiful thing is that over time, Jesus can set us free from darkness. Now, sometimes it happens immediately, and sometimes it happens eventually. And by the way, by the way, if you wrestle with anxiety or depression, it doesn't mean that you're a bad person. It doesn't even mean that you're a bad Christian. It just means that Jesus, give him time, he's working that out in you, because one of, the, one of these days, your test will actually become your testimony. And I know that he's used that in my life for me to kind of speak into and encourage so many people that have gone through that. So one of the indications of the Messiah, of Jesus coming, is he will release us from darkness. And last but not least, least, number five, a lot of charismatics got excited right there. You thought I was speaking in tongues. (laughs) Number five is a day of vengeance. A day of vengeance. Like, have you ever wanted to just get vengeance on somebody. Now, some of you are watching, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good, you're like, no, I love all people. I've wanted to get vengeance on a lot of people. Um, Brian Jones, in the first grade, gave me a bloody nose. I never will forget it. And I'm still, I'm still, listen, if I saw Brian broke down on the side of the road, I would, I would help him. 
but I would also want to punch him in his nose. I'm, I'm just being incredibly honest right now because he gave me a bloody nose. We always want to get even. I'm a Clemson fan. I want to get even with Alabama. If you're a Georgia fan, you probably want to get even with Alabama. If you're anybody, you want to get even with Alabama. <laughs> but the day of vengeance was huge. Now, let me set this up, and this is, this is the main point. If you've kind of tuned out, kind of lean back in real quick. The Israelites were really, really religious, and they hated the Gentiles. Now, some of you are wondering, who are the Gentiles? Well, it's real simple. If you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. So that's, that's real easy, okay? The, the Jews in this time period hated the Gentiles. Now, they didn't hate them without reason. They didn't hate them without reason because they had constantly been conquered they had been mistreated. They had been enslaved. Um, women and children had been killed. I mean, um, at first it was the Assyrians, and then it was the Babylonians. And, and during the time of Jesus, it was the Romans. And so the Jews hated the Gentiles. So one of the things that they believed about the Messiah is the Messiah was going to come, and he was going to do all these things, and he was going to help them take vengeance on their enemies. This was going to be a very political, military Messiah. And they believed, they believed the Messiah was coming and he was going to do those first four things for them, but for nobody else. Because the gospel was for a certain group of people in their mind and everybody else was going to be killed. Because that's what Jesus, vengeance on those people was a very, very big deal. Now with that in mind, Let's go, let's go to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 14. Let's start in verse 14 of Luke chapter 4. I'll give everybody time to kind of get there. Um, and if you're, you, know, you can turn there real quick on your Bible app or whatever. Here we go. Luke 14, or Luke chapter 4, verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. So at this point in Jesus' ministry, it's going real good. Like everything's going good. He's, he's getting Facebook followers. He's got his Instagram Everybody's watching his Instagram stories. I mean, it's great. He had, he had just gone through an intense, intense temptation. And Luke records that in um, Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, I believe. But then we see him... Coming out, coming out of that tempting situation, and he's stepping into his ministry, and he's getting a ton of popularity. Like, everybody is like, we love this Jesus guy, but this is where it gets tricky. Luke 4, verse 16. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. So I want to pause real quick. We talked about this last week. We'll mention it again here. Jesus was in the synagogue on the Sabbath. Um, just an indication of we always need to be together with a body of believers at least once a week. That's what the church is called to do. And so the, the Bible says this was the custom of Jesus. It needs to be the custom of people that follow Jesus. And um, he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. Now, I want to pause. During Jesus' day, they didn't have chapter and verses. So he had to you know, kind of go through, which he knew where it was because he, like, he, he actually wrote it. Um, so he, he finds Isaiah chapter 61, 
um, verse 1, and he starts reading. Now, I want to read to you what Luke records that he reads. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. And everybody's like, oh, this is that, this is that text about the Messiah. And he starts rolling because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. And everybody's like, yes, here we go. We know where this is going. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Luke says in verse 20, Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. Now, I want to pause. There's a reason they were all fastened on him. Because he left out the part about vengeance. Remember in Isaiah 61? We're reading, and after the year of the Lord's favor, he talks about the day of vengeance. Jesus left that out. And it's confusing to this group of people. This is like listening to... Um, in the Air Tonight by Phil Collins. Anybody ever heard that song, In the Air Tonight? And listening to it, but not listening to the... That would be a sin to not listen to that part right there. And so what's going on in this text is everybody's kind of nodding their head because they're really excited about that part about the day of vengeance. Because remember, they hated the Gentiles. And here's Jesus, and he's going to talk about vengeance. And this could be the Messiah. We're going to have a war against the Gentiles, and we're going to win. And he doesn't say a word. He completely skips it. He leaves it out. And they're just staring at him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, everybody started getting a little uncomfortable because he left this part out. In fact, the next verse says, All spoke well of him and were amazed at his gracious words that came from his lips. But this is where the tide begins to turn a little bit. Isn't this Joseph's son, they ask? So they're like, yeah, we like him and he's good. But here they begin to call his qualifications into question. Wasn't his dad a carpenter? Didn't, did, what, didn't he build a coffee table for you, Frank? Frank, don't you have a coffee table that Jesus built in your house, the carpenter, right? Don't you have a chest of drawers in your house that Jesus built? They start to question his qualifications because he left the part of vengeance out. And just so they wouldn't miss the point, Jesus presses in, not just a little bit, but a lot. Now, remember, just real quick question, real quick review for those in the room and those watching. Who were the group, what was the group of people that the Jews hated? Gentiles. Gentiles, okay. With that in mind, the Bible says in Luke chapter 4, verse 23, Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Remember that place. It's very important. We're going to come back to that. Verse 24. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in, Eli in Israel in Elijah's time. But, but uh, when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. I want to pause real quick. The woman that Jesus, is re Jesus references in this text was a Gentile. 
She wasn't Jewish. She was a Gentile. So not only did Jesus not talk about vengeance, he talked about grace and mercy being given to a group of people that the Israelites hated. The Gentiles. And everybody's starting to get a little ill, but Jesus, he doesn't back off. He keeps pressing in. Watch this. Verse 27. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. Which, by the way, Naaman was a Gentile. So right here, Jesus is saying, hey, listen, the, the good news, the Messiah, proclamation of, of freedom to the poor and the brokenhearted and darkness and all that stuff, it's not just for you. It's for the people you hate. It's not just for us. It's for them. In fact, when it comes to a relationship with Christ, there is no us versus them. It's just us. And if it's us versus them, then it's not the gospel. It's not the gospel. So, everybody got really PO'd. Really PO'd means pissed off. Verse 28 says this. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. By the way, and we've talked about this throughout the series, you can always tell who religious people are because they're always angry. They're always angry. Okay? Like those Westboro people that are always boycotting stuff. They're just angry people. Nobody sees that and goes, man, I want to be that right there. That right there is what I want to be one day. Um, which I'm not worried about them watching because there's only like 15 of them. They just make a lot of news. But the, the religious people were furious when they heard this. Now, I want to pause. I've preached some bad sermons before. But this, so far, has never happened to me. They got up, drove him out of town took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. So they're so angry. First of all, religious people aren't scared to kick Jesus out of their church because he wasn't preaching a message that they wanted to hear. They hated the Gentiles. They couldn't stand the Gentiles. The gospel is for us. It's not for them. And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. The gospel, I, Jesus says, I am for everyone, even the people you hate. And the religious crowd couldn't stand that. So they kicked Jesus out and they took him to a cliff. And their intention was to throw him off and kill him. All because he said the gospel is for those people that you hate. Now, I want to pause real quick. If you've ever felt kicked out, if you've ever felt excluded, if you ever felt like somebody kind of pushed you to the side, Jesus understands exactly how you feel because it happened to him too. But the reason it happened to Jesus is because he wasn't preaching vengeance on those people. He was preaching grace for all people. Let me say it again. Jesus wasn't preaching vengeance on those people. He was preaching grace for all people. And the religious people could not stand it. So a lot of people stop right here and they kind of pause. But when I was reading this this week, I just kind of kept on reading. 
And something fascinating stood out to me. And I want to talk to the person or the group of people that maybe you felt kicked out or you felt excluded or you felt like um, you were once part of the crowd, but you're no longer part of the crowd. The Bible says this in verse 30. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. So how cool would that have been just to see? They're, they're like ready to kill him. He's just like, no, I'm just going to walk through the crowd. And he just kind of walks through the crowd and keeps going. Kind of like a, um, it's just a cool moment. But the Bible says in verse 31, then he went down to Capernaum. Remember I told you we we're going to come back to that? Capernaum. A town in Galilee. And on the Sabbath, he taught the people. So he got kicked out of one synagogue. He just went to another one. He got kicked out of one. He's like, nah, I'm not going to stop. He just went to another one. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. Now, let me tell you why Capernaum was a big deal. Capernaum is where he met Peter and called him to follow him. Capernaum is where he met Matthew. We talked about Matthew last week. Capernaum is where the miraculous catch of fish took place. Near Capernaum is where Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. Near Capernaum was where the miracle of the five loaves and two fish. In fact, the majority of Jesus' ministry was done in the region of Capernaum. But had he not gotten kicked out of Nazareth, he would have never stepped into Capernaum. And maybe the reason religion kicked you out is so that Jesus could pull you in. Maybe the reason that religion kicked you out is so that Jesus can pull you in. And at the end of the day, at the end of the day, if you're someone who you feel like religion has pushed out, maybe, maybe you got put in a category and then people told you because you're in this category, you're not good enough. I'm telling you that Jesus did not come to draw a line in the sand and say it's us versus them. Jesus showed up not to preach religion, but to preach relationship, and everyone is invited. Some people go, I'm a sinner. I can't follow Jesus. Being a sinner does not disqualify you from following Jesus. It's actually a prerequisite. That's where we start. That's where we all start. So at the end of the day, at the end of the day, maybe, maybe, maybe you have felt kicked out and you feel excluded, and you feel isolated. But maybe God's going to use that to do something so significant in your life that you never would have experienced it had you stayed in the place you were. Because I believe with all my heart what Romans 8 says, that God can use all things for his glory and for our good. So a couple things here and then we're done. Number one, that person or that group of people that you hate, the gospel's for them. The gospel's for them. It, listen, it, it might pain you to think the gospel's for them. And if that's true, in heaven, God will probably put your mansion right next to theirs. And they're going to be your next door neighbor for eternity. I hope that happens. The gospel is for them. And number two, if you ever felt kicked out, isolated, put to the side, stuck on the shelf... Jesus understands it happened to him too. But because he got kicked out, it didn't stop him. It actually took him to the next level. And if he did it then, he can do it today. And if he did it for himself, he can do it for you. 
He can do it for me. So with that in mind, I want us to close in, in prayer. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Father, I want to thank you today for those who are watching uh, or in the room. God, who may have a problem with a person or a certain group of people. God, that we would do our best to allow you to shape our hearts. That we could constantly practice forgiveness on a daily basis. Father, I want to pray for the person that maybe, or not maybe, God, they, they were kicked out because they did something wrong, because they were fit into a certain category of people, because they felt like, they, because they were told they weren't good enough. Jesus, I pray that those who have been kicked out would feel drawn in right now by you. And Father, I pray for all of us that we would not ever take the posture of us versus them but us for them. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I don't know where you are today in your personal relationship with Jesus, but I know that the last thing that Jesus wants to do with you is kick you out. And maybe the reason you got kicked out by religion is so you could get pulled in by Jesus. And so if you're here watching online and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want to invite you to step into a relationship with Jesus right now right where you sit, right where you are. You can ask Jesus to come into your life. And listen, he might not make everything better immediately, but eventually, listen, freedom from darkness, um, freedom from prison, uh, bro brokenheartedness healed, all of those things are true. And the process begins when we meet Jesus. So if you're here today watching online and you want to pray to receive Christ, then right where you sit, I want to invite you just to pray, and right now, right where you sit, Jesus Christ, right now, I confess you as Lord. I believe you died on the cross and rose from the grave to pay for my sins. And right now, I receive you into my life. Come in and take over. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you just prayed that prayer, um, we would love to know. If you'd let us know on Facebook, um, or if you'll email me, prayer at perrynoble.com, prayer at perrynoble.com. You can email me and just let us know that you prayed to receive Christ. Um, or if you have a prayer request, maybe something happened to you, you feel like you've been kicked out, you feel like you're one of those people that other people hate, and you're really wrestling with something, you're really struggling with it. If you'll email us, I promise you we will read it, we will pray for you, um, and we'll respond. So prayer at perrynoble.com. Once again, next week we finish up this series and it's going to be um, for anybody who's ever had a doubt in their life and their walk with God. And so I want you to join us. And once again, I always say this at the end, thank you for those of you that have been giving to this ministry that have helped it get off the ground. The foundation is being laid. And if you haven't given yet or you want to start giving or you want more information, just go to mysecondchancechurch.com. That's mysecondchancechurch.com. The give button's in the upper right-hand corner. You can click that. And um, you can help us get started. And next week, hopefully, I'll be able to announce the place and the date of the first corporate gathering. It's going to be awesome. You guys have a great week. I love you. God bless.